All right, let's do some mind bending this morning. Right off the bat, go ahead and take out your glory, praise, and honor. I want you to look on the front, or you can look up here at the screen. I want you to do something for me. You'll notice on the picture there are four dots that are almost directly in the center of the image. Four dots that are directly in the center. I want you to focus either looking at the screen. I prefer you do it on your glory, praise, and honor. I think it'll be a little bit more mind-bending for you. I want you to focus on those four dots. Just look at those four dots for the next 30 seconds. I'm going to time it. Don't worry. I will not let you look at it for 31, I promise. Ready and go. Focus on those four dots for the next 30 seconds. You're at 15. Keep going. You can do it. All of you squirrels out there. Almost, almost. Now when I say now, I want you to close your eyes and raise your head back and keep your eyes closed and wait for it. Now, is that not mind-bending right there? Yeah. Now, now I know some of you are sitting in here thinking that you're not in on it, all right? Right? You're sitting here going, all right, I've got my head leaned back, and I don't know what I'm doing this for. I have, I have no idea. If you need to look again, stare at the four dots for 30 seconds. Maybe you need to go a little longer. Maybe you need to go 45. Maybe you need to go for a full minute. You stare at those dots, and then you lean your head back, keeping your eyes closed, and then you wait, and there is an image that then begins to appear in your mind. And you've been conditioned to, to see that image as being the face of Jesus. If only it was that easy to get people to see Christ. If only all we had to do was to, to go up to a friend or neighbor and say, I want you to stare at these four dots for 30 seconds. Or, or because I, I, know, I know you're stubborn, I want you to stare at it for a minute. And just have them stare, and then when the time is up, say, all right, now, I want you to lean your head back, keep your eyes closed, and wait for it. And then you watch them go, dude, <laughs> right? I mean, some of you thought you were back in the 60s when you had your head back, all right? I mean, you were back in your teenage years. And all of a sudden, the image there appeared in your mind as if you could reach out and you could touch it. And if only it was that easy to allow others to be able to see Jesus. See, we said last week that our mission as a church is to share with the world the grace of our prodigal father. You see, we have a story, a message, if you want to call it that, of a recklessly gracious father who knows where we've been, who sees where we are, who understands where we are going to be going, and still says, I want you to be a part of my family. I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. This is our mission's message. But the message is commonly hindered by a common mistake. And churches get trapped in this a lot and don't even realize it. And it's this idea that if we put up a sign and if we open up our doors, 
that the unchurched will come. It's the field of dreams strategy for church growth. If you build it, they will come. Just put up a building, put up a sign, put up a tent, anything, and people will come to hear the message of Jesus. And yet research over the past decades undermines that mistaken notion. You know this, people are staying away from churches at record numbers. And so we've got to ask, why are some churches not connecting to the unconverted? And what can be done to change the faltering outreach to the lost? Now in some cases, Americans have just turned off not only to the message, but to the messengers. Because of the many different religious scandals over the last three to four decades, individuals in our country have lost faith in the leadership of those who say they speak for God. And so they don't want to listen to what those who at one time were considered to be those of authority, those who had a word from the Lord. They have seen their actions. They have seen that their lives do not measure up with the message. And they have turned away. And then we're going to have to give some serious consideration to the question of relevance. A group of Christians surveyed a southern city where they wanted to plant a church. And the survey centered on one single question. Why don't you attend church? I just went around and asked people in the city, why don't you attend church? Go ahead and tell me. Whatever you want to tell me, go ahead. 74% of those surveyed indicate they felt there was no value to attending church. No value. 34% believed that the church had no relevance in the way that they lived. Now, while the church does not exist to accommodate secular definitions of relevance, we must also face the dilemma that was framed by the lyrics of the old song, why do we spend our time answering questions that no one is asking? Because across the American landscape, we are littered with churches who are speaking a message that is not being heard. And that many do not even want to hear. There's a high cost of not understanding a generation, not doing your homework necessary to gain a fair hearing of the gospel. But we have to understand that it is possible to be both culturally relevant and at the same time biblically sound in our approach to the unchurch. These are not mutually exclusive ideas. And I think it was the point that the Apostle Paul was trying to make. And I'd love for you to open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's in your New Testament, about midway through 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I want you to, um, I want you just to listen to, to the passion that he has as he lays out the way in which he lived among people. He says, even though I am a free man, this is verse 19, with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. 
Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so that I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Man, can we not learn something from this guy? Paul says, I'm a free man. I'm not obligated to conform to anyone's desire or opinions. He says, I have been set free, but I am conformed to Christ. And because I am conformed to Christ, I will make myself your slave so that you might know that same Christ. Paul became a Jew to the Jews. He walked like a Jew. He talked like a Jew. He went along with their customs and their their laws as long as nothing he did violated his walk with Christ. He did this in order to relate and to connect to and and impact the Jews with the message of Jesus. To the non-religionist, he became a non-religionist. He walked like a Gentile, talked like a Gentile, went along with their customs and beliefs as long as they did not violate his walk with Christ. He did this in order to relate, connect to, and impact the non-religious with the message of Jesus. To the legalist, Paul acted like a legalist, conforming to their laws and ceremonies. He went along with their purity rituals and regulations without becoming entrapped in their legalism. And to the liberal, he was liberal, though never going beyond the law of Christ. He confirmed, conformed to their ideas and opinions just to have an open door just to have an opportunity to help them grow in Christ. He did this because he had a desire to relate to and connect to and to impact others with the message of Jesus. And he states his purpose for conforming. He says, I became, he says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. He's declaring that he went to the extreme when necessary in order to reach people for Christ. What mattered were not his rights, what mattered were not his opinions, but the gospel of Jesus. And the gospel was the consuming passion of his life. He wanted to do whatever he could to make sure that people did not miss out on the grace of God. And he was willing to go further than others were willing to go in order to make sure that everyone heard the message of Jesus. And friends, I believe that we must be willing to go further than others go in order to reach those that others are unwilling to reach. Paul said, I genomahe all things. He said, I become And the word means a transitioning, going from from one state to another. Starting in one place and ending up at another location. And he uses a verb form that expresses that this idea of becoming all things was a choice that he made and a choice that he continued to live in. Paul is saying this didn't happen by accident. 
I didn't just wake up one morning and decide, you know what? I'm going to reach out to the Jews. I'm going to reach out to the Gentiles. I'm, I'm going to do whatever it takes. He didn't just wake up and it happened. He says, I have chosen to do whatever it takes short of sin to make sure that others do not miss out on the grace of God. He said, this is what I'm about. It's a choice. And, and I bring that up because I think that for some of us, we believe that God has just blessed some with the ability to witness for Christ. And I have no doubt that some of you are gifted in that way. But Paul says, you know what? I, I choose to get in a conversation with my bank teller about Jesus. I choose to go to the same restaurant each week, to have the same waitress and waiter each week so that I can have a conversation about Jesus. Paul says, I choose to go get my oil changed at the same place so that I can have a conversation about Jesus. I, I do the same routine. I involve myself in the lives of these different individuals. Why? Because I made a choice that the gospel of Jesus Christ is more important than anything else in my life. And we can only adapt to and minister to our culture when we make it an absolute commitment, just as Paul. And we're not talking about compromising biblical truth, but being flexible in our approach to both evangelism and ministry. You see, we as a church, we have this wonderful commitment to pattern ourselves after those first faithful men and women who adopted the name of Jesus in the New Testament. And like those that you read about in Acts chapter 2, we have committed ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to communion, to prayers, and to fellowship. But should we not pattern ourselves just as much after the early Christians' passion as we do their practice? Those first Christians were totally sold out for the good news of Jesus Christ. It was the message about Jesus that fueled their relationship, reorganized their priorities, and clarified their focus. Those early Christians were known for their message and how their message had impacted and changed them. But let's be honest. Some of us are more passionate about our practice than our witness. Often more concerned about our church's direction than our friends and neighbors' connection with the grace of God. Church, we lack a passion for connecting others to Christ. Now this is where we all get defensive. We say, you don't, you know, I don't, but God does. And here's what I know. For the last seven and a half years that I have been here a part of this congregation, we've basically been the same size. Oh, a lot of you have come over those seven and a half years. And a lot have left. But we haven't been growing the kingdom. We've sheep shifted. 
And some of you have come from other congregations here in town because of different problems or different issues or different things. And whatever brought you here, we're thankful that you're here. But we like a passion for connecting people to the grace of God. Churches attempting to reproduce a first century pattern can be found all around us. And I just wonder if we could not, as Paul, go further than others are going in order to reproduce a first century passion in order to truly increase the kingdom of God. It means doing more than we have ever done in order to reach more than we have ever reached. And I asked you last week, I said, when you come in contact with the grace of God, what does that do to the way that you view the church? What does it view to the way that you view the church that you want to be? And, and I heard from some of you who said, you know what? We want to be a church that, that's welcoming, a church that's about Jesus and basketball, a, a, a church that, that is transparent, and a church that, that loves people who are unchurched. What if we were a church that actually went and looked for the unchurched. You see, most churches today look for Christians. They look for people who think and act and talk and dress like them. On their signs they put up, come worship with us this Sunday, never realizing that the unchurched driving down the highway are not looking for a church to worship with this Sunday. What impact could we have? if we intentionally went looking for them. One day Jesus saw a little man who had climbed up a sycamore tree and he called him by name and he said, let's go to lunch. In fact, let's go to lunch today and let's have it at your house. And this dishonest tax collector named Zacchaeus became a Christ follower and Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. You see, Jesus went around looking for those who were hungering and thirsting for purpose in life. And he recognized those that had become lost in that pursuit. And when questioned about why he did the things he did, he said, it's not, he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, unlike most of our churches, Jesus' focus was on sinners, not saints. And yet 95% of our leadership's time here at our congregation is spent on worrying about how the saints are going to react to a change or an inconvenience, real or imagined. And we need to repent because our focus is in the wrong place. How many unchurched people do you eat with on a regular basis? Jesus was criticized because he spent too much time with sinners. Open your eyes and look for people who are lost in materialism and debt or addiction. Looking for those who are overcome by guilt or self-pity, who are engaged in sinful, destructive lifestyles and intentionally target those individuals because you care about them. They're in your office and they're on the ball field. They're in your family. They serve you your coffee. They mow your grass. They clean your teeth. They are the young and the old, the rich and the poor. They sit next to you in PTO meetings, in business meetings, at concerts, and they even sit next to you here in church. They are every man and they are every woman. And why not just go ahead and jot down in a notebook or take out your iPhone and you put in the name of an individual 
that you come in contact with on a regular basis, maybe each day or maybe each week. Allow this person to become your one. The one that you are going to be praying about. The one that you are going to be imploring God to, to turn their heart. The one that you're going to be looking for opportunities to speak the message of Jesus Christ into their life. And so you begin praying for him or her. Because that name represents someone of extreme value to Jesus. And because they have extreme value to Jesus, they have extreme value to you. And you invest and you invite you invest time and energy in getting to know them. And you invite them to different things that go on here around our campus. You invite them to come paint. And I'm with Sean. I have no idea what you ladies do when you go and do that. But man, the pictures that come on social media, it looks fun, right? I think you need more sausage and steak when you do it. But I mean, it looks fun. And you invite. You invite them to come and to be a part of a of a service here, uh, uh, an encouraging assembly that we have, wanting them to come and to meet other Christians, other individuals who are struggling. You want them to come and hear a certain song. You want them to come and hear a certain passage. You want them to meet God right here. See, your job isn't to drive people to Jesus, but you lovingly show him to them. You faithfully plant seeds with strangers and with friends. You look for opportunities knowing that God will give the increase. You will never reap a harvest if you never plant a seed. And it might not happen next week. And it might not happen next month. You might have to wait 365 days before the prayer that you pray today finds its fruition. And the one that you have been praying for and the one that you have been talking to comes and says, I want to be baptized into Christ and to have a new life in God. And for 365 days, you prayed, and you spoke, and you sacrificed, and you served. And it will be worth every 365. A word for each of us that call East Brain at home. This morning, you may have passed someone else's one. You might be sitting behind them, actually, right now. You may have held the door for them. You may have handed them a cup of coffee. You might have given them one of the glory praises and honor. You might have moved over from your seat so that they could have a place to sit. You see, you don't know when someone else's one is going to walk through our doors and come into your sphere of influence. And so we better make every effort to smile and to be welcoming and engaging and, and to share in conversation. We must tr treat each stranger that we meet as if they could be somebody else's one. Now, it could be that it's somebody that's been here for 30 years. You need to meet that person. And they need to meet you. Or it could be the first time someone who is unchurched comes into our midst. And because someone else has prayed for this moment, because someone else has gotten on their knees before God for this encounter, Satan would love nothing more than for a careless, selfish act to get in the way of this one seeing Jesus. Satan would love for your gossip to be overheard. 
Satan would love for you to keep to yourself. He would love for it if you complained about the way someone was dressed or if you refused to lift your voice in praise. He would be overjoyed if the reason someone else's one chose to resist Christ was you or me. Paul said, I have become all things to all people. And so if that means I have to give up my seat, I give up my seat. If that means I have to be inconvenienced by changing Bible classrooms, I change Bible classrooms. If that means I have to spend less time catching up with friends and and more time getting to know strangers, then I will do that. If that means that I have to park farther from the building or learn songs I don't know or or sit with someone who doesn't share my, my color or my language or my creed, then that is what I will do. I will give more and I will serve longer. I will forgive freely. I will love deeply. I will come early. And I will stay late. And I will not expect my opinions to be everyone else's standard. And I will do this and more. Because I do not want your one to miss the grace of God. Because of what Jesus did, I will. You want to fill in that blank? What will you do because of what Jesus did? You see, God said, I love the world so much that I will give my only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God said, this is what I will do. I will sacrifice my very son so that my family can be brought together. Because of what Jesus did, I will. Will you change the direction that you take to work each day? Will you change where you eat? Will you change how you spend your free time? Will you change what you do before you go into the office? Will you change what takes place during times that you're in the classroom or or going between classes? Will you change your routine on Sundays? Will you change the way that you look at the other people who are around you? Will you stop thinking about yourself and consider others? What will you do because of what Jesus did? This morning, I'm going to ask you to pray. I want our elders, we're going to, I've said we've got to do things that others aren't doing if we want to reach people that others aren't reaching, right? Um, I'm going to ask our elders, I want you to get up if you don't mind at this time. And I just want you to go stand along the walls here. Our elders are going to go stand beside the walls here on your left and and on your right. Uh, We're going to have um, elders who will be down here in the front as well. And I want to know if you will go and pray for one. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing our song of encouragement together. And, and while we sing that song, uh, here, let me demonstrate. Derek, come here just a minute. 
I would like for you to go while we're singing to one of our elders. And I'd like for you to walk up and just say, I have one. Or say, I need one. Now, if you say, I have one, that means you've got somebody in mind. And God has brought somebody already to your heart this morning that you realize needs to hear the message of Jesus. Or maybe nobody is on your mind. You say, you know what? I got to get busy. I got to get my life straight. And I got to get things structured. And so you need to go and say, I need one. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to walk up and you're going to say, go ahead. You either tell me, I've got one or I need one. I need one. All right. And here's what the elders are going to do. Say, Lord, open Derek's eyes to the people that are around him so that he might be able to share the message of Christ in the name of Jesus, amen. And then you keep singing. If you want to stand around with the others that come and pray with them, that's fine. It's fine. Maybe as we're singing this song, you need to... Maybe you don't need to go to the sides. Maybe you do need to come to the front as we normally do. And you just say, you know what? My focus has not been on those who are outside the church. My focus has only been on myself. And maybe you do need to repent. And you need to come. We've got uh, Dan Gary is here and Dr. Tommy Hayes is here in the front. And maybe, maybe you need to come and say, you know what? I, I, I need the prayers of this church because I've allowed, I've allowed Satan to use me to keep others from Christ. See, friends, everything we do, from the songs that we sing to the bulletins that we print, everything we do from the classes we offer to the ministries that we serve, everything we do from my message to the greeter's smile, everything we do from the way that we talk to the bank teller to the way that we thank our babysitter, everything we do should be done with the intention of helping others see Jesus. Are you willing to go further than others go in order to make sure Christ is seen by all? If you're uncomfortable with this, this is not a test of spirituality. If you need to stay in your seat, that is fine. Nobody's going to judge you. And you're not going to judge anybody that gets up. But let's sing and encourage one another and ask God, to bring one more home. Let's stand.